Welcome to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 Podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally. And uh, it's great to be racing this week. Uh, unfortunately, we had no race last week, Ryan, and, uh, you know, for some really unfortunate circumstances. Yeah, you hate to have a race canceled for that. And, you know, obviously it's, it's one thing for bad weather, but it's another thing for it to impact the region. So thoughts and prayers with everyone there. Yeah, obviously the the right call made uh, no need to pilfer resources from the area, emergency services, in order to put on a sporting event. So the uh, Emilia-Romagna region uh, devastated by a deluge of rain. So, yes, like Ryan said, we hope that everyone in that area pulls through and uh, looking forward to coming back to Imola next year. It's an interesting race coming up. Uh, Some changes to uh cars right uh, some is a long-term deal some is just what's going to happen in this race right see with the uh, mercedes upgrades right yep uh you know this week is monaco the jewel in the crown of the f1 calendar so always a lot of buzz around this race uh off the track on the track always feels like deals are being made uh behind the scenes and yeah i i think the the main uh, news item coming out of the paddock this week is Mercedes has finally relented and they've decided to join the rest of the crowd and update the structure of their side pods to fit a little bit more what Red Bull was looking like. I always love the deconstruction pieces where uh, they're like, here are the six changes that Mercedes made and let's walk you through them. Um, and so hopefully uh, the the biggest change I hope they're going to see is uh, some increased speed and competitiveness. Right. You know, you talk about uh, six changes and you're like, oh, well, you know, they just kind of change the shape, shape around the side. But the way these cars are set up, any change you make fundamentally alters how the entire system of the car works. So to make one change, you need to make six. Um, obviously, these were updates and upgrades they wanted to bring to the car last week uh, for the race at Imola where it really would have made more of a difference on that kind of flowing faster track uh, here at Monaco. It's hard to really gauge what the performance gain is going to be. Uh, but, you know, I think they'll get a, a, an indication of whether or not they're heading in the right direction. Right. And, you know, that's the biggest challenge, Steve, is this forced kind of, you know, extended break in the middle of the season at right around the same time. A lot of changes are scheduled to be made. And you don't really know how cars are going to perform in their first run. And it may be a little bit, uh, I guess, um, deceiving because you're like, it wasn't really meant to be shown off here. It was meant to be shown off at another race. Well, you know, and they can't afford to say we'll go somewhere else with it because you've already kind of lost a race where you could glean that information. So uh, you only have so much time on the track. You've lost a whole weekend. Uh, so now you got to soldier forward and, and get as much data as you can. But do, do you think they've kind of made the change too late? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, you wonder why and when Toto relented and why here, you know? And so that's the challenge. But I mean, five races into the season is not the longest into a season you still got lots of races to go but it's also you know do you 
waste of time. You know, you wonder, uh, you wonder here if they didn't have Italy and Monaco was the next race, would they have made the changes for this or would they have waited? You know what I mean? So it's like they made it for a particular race. It felt like if that race wasn't in the calendar and, you know, would we have seen it even here? Right. Right. I I think, you know, coming out of the gate last year, they were really one of maybe two teams who went a different direction with their car concept. And the other cars that had something similar were just because they were Mercedes customer teams Mm -hmm. who who used the same engine and gearbox and everything. So it makes sense to kind of follow their uh, concept and engine packing and, or packaging. Um, But everybody abandoned except for Mercedes and been stubborn to the point of uh, frustration of saying, no, this concept is going to work for us. We believe it Um, stuck with it the entire year. It even started to, improve towards the end of the season. They finally picked up a race win at the end of the year. Uh, Lewis was consistently finishing second behind Max. Felt like they were heading in the right direction, but at the same time, you knew that it is the le- the, the lesser of the two uh, aerodynamic philosophies, right? As much as they could ring out of that car, you kind of knew that it was always second fiddle. So during the offseason, they could have pulled the trigger then, but they were still kind of, you know, wooed by the data they were getting in their simulator. And they just kind of fell prey to believing that they had made the right choice. And it, I think it was abundantly clear when they showed up this year that it was not the right direction to go. Right. You just, you know, we, we heard this. Lewis has said they didn't listen to me. You. Um, you see the issues that they had. They had the porpoising issues last year. They seemed to lose great speed. Um, they didn't seem to have much, you know, comparatively. And then, you know, you know, they come out in the gates this year, and you're like, I, you're losing ground to some of the other teams too, right? You see Aston uh, take a step forward, and you see a few other teams start to, you know do okay but you know mercedes at this point feels like uh we're good uh and good is like good enough to still get you in the hunt for like second but mercedes is used to competing for championships and they're getting blown away so it's embarrassing at this point uh, i guess maybe to the point where it just shamed toto enough to be like uh, enough of this we've got to do something i i think that's what it is it's just a matter of what what what's there to lose if we don't change something now like we can continue to remain solidly fourth and fifth. If we don't change anything, we might as well throw our best shot at making a change to see if we can get higher. Uh, you know, this is where the, your, the, the budget cap kind of catches you and, and holds you in position because in, in a different era, they would have just thrown three or four hundred million dollars at developing the car from the ground up again and would have shown up with an entirely different car to try to race back to the front by sheer resources. But you're limited in what you could do. So if you don't get the concept right on the onset, you don't have the maneuverability within the budget 
to make a drastic change. So it's like, all right, well, we're kind of stuck with this now until the next time they change the rules again, and then we'll try to get it right when it comes to 2026. Right, and it goes, this is Ryan's uh, American Sports Analogy of the Week, uh, uh, sponsor pending. But uh, much like they tried to increase, they put a salary cap in, essentially, to increase parity, right? And we see this in sports, the salary caps that it, teams, especially in the NFL, the NFL is really known for this, is uh, team team every year rises from the ashes and ends up being a playoff team unexpectedly. And a lot of people have fun trying to pick what team that's going to be. But I don't think the salary cap here is doing that for these teams, Steve, although that's what the intent was. I feel like this is more like a college football situation where if you get a bad coach or you get a bad quarterback, it sets your, it sets your team back three years, right? And this is where I'm seeing this. You, 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 you get a bad setup and you, the salary cap essentially are, you know, is going to lock you in there. Almost. You're going to have to figure out how to win with that crappy quarterback. In this instance, a crappy car is uh Charles Leclerc trying to find his way into the transfer portal, get to a faster car. <laughs> and I think this is where, yeah, we can extend the college metaphor more than we can expend in any other sport. Right. Yeah. Transfer portal is like, ah, oh, man, this isn't the team for me. <laughs> uh, because they changed the coach. Uh, it didn't change anything. And, uh, I find myself not wanting to be here anymore. Right. Right. So, I mean, Lewis, you know, uh, we, we did get a chance to watch how the car performed in free practice one and two today. Right. Lewis was, yeah, I'll say beaming. He was certainly happy. He said he had a, a you know an enjoyable session. It was fun. Uh, he was enjoying driving the car. Uh, seemed to be competitive pace wise. Um, when early on in the year, he said they didn't listen to me. It wasn't necessarily about you know this concept with the shape of the side pods of the car. It was more about, uh, you know, Mercedes kind of having that cockpit farther forward than the other team. So he kind of loses the feel of the back end and, and the traction and how it's rotating. And other drivers have a better feel for it because they're sat farther back. Um, and that's not something that they're able to update mid-year. So he's got to literally sit with that for the rest of the year. But it seems like the car has found a better balance under this concept. So hopefully uh, when it comes to qualifying tomorrow, he'll be able to, you know, really extract some pace out of the car. Right. And, you know, these types, you know, Monaco is designed for certain types of drivers too, to really enjoy. Um, it's not the funnest race. It is a spectacle. It's a lovely race. I'd love to go someday. But as we mentioned earlier in the casts, uh, if you've been listening that, uh, so I can watch a very crappy race happen. Um, so I, I, I will say that we, we talk about like it's definitely the one race on the calendar where you would say the in-person viewing experience exceeds the television experience. As as, as much as processional as as the race can be at this track because it's so tight and there's not a lot of passing, you're closer to the action here than anywhere else so if you can get a seat around a corner like it almost feels like on the coverage you could reach out and touch the car right um one other bit of news before we get into the race itself um the aston martin honda stuff steve is 
always interesting, especially the responses from various individuals who have feelings about this. Um, but I, I find it interesting um, as they end their partnership with Red Bull that they're going in this direction. Yeah, so a, a couple of partnerships kind of uh, taking separate paths at the same time. Uh, obviously, this will be within the you know 2026 new era, the that next phase of regulations that you know Mercedes is going to hope to nail. Uh, but you know where it looks like Mercedes might have been on the back foot with some decisions this year. Aston Martin continues to just kind of plow forward and are setting themselves up to be. Uh, potentially another dominant force. You know, we kind of had a top three with, you know, Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes. They're looking to put down a marker and put themselves in the top four. Uh, They've already made a big leap this year. Fernando's getting everything out of the car. Four podiums out of five races. Um, And now looking to the future, they're stepping away from their partnership with Mercedes because they kind of feel like as long as they are a customer team to a works team, which Mercedes is the Mercedes team, and if you're getting your parts from Mercedes, who do you think is always going to have the better end of the deal? The the works team. So they want to have that type of setup for, their, for themselves. And it's funny enough that it's going to be Honda. It's not like they're going to be making Aston Martin engines at Aston Martin. They're going to have Honda, but Honda as an exclusive partner as they themselves will be stepping away from Red Bull as Red Bull starts to uh, scale up their own powertrain production. And uh, it feels like Aston Martin's trying to be a real boy. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're uh, with new ownership and this transition, right? From, uh, from the past few years, it feels like they're trying to transition to posit themselves almost like Ferrari, right? Almost like Mercedes. Like we are a team. We are individual. We do not need to rely on you. If we win, it's because of us, right? Yeah. And, you know, as much as we might malign Papa Stroll as a nouveau riche Bond villain, uh, it, it's seemingly out of like sheer will and assertiveness that he is getting the team to this level of not just competition, but respectability. They have obviously one marquee driver, um, but they have world-class facilities that are coming online, uh, upgrades of the headquarters and wind tunnel. And now with this Honda partnership, who's a two-time uh, you know, driver championship soon to be three, soon to be two time, uh, constructor championship. And it doesn't look like that's slowing down. So it could be red bull for the next couple of years before 2026, having, you know, the driver, the team, the facilities and the engine all lined up and in place. It's, it's really impressive how they've kind of done this systematically, you know, to, to go from a, you know, uh, essentially bankrupt Force India team a few years ago, put into administration, bought by Lance or bought by uh, uh, Papa Stroll, yeah. yeah, by Lawrence, excuse me, 
um, and then just, you know, money can buy you a lot of things. It can't buy you class, but if you put it in, or if you invest it in the right way, it gets you awfully close. I would say it's a bit of a ruthless way to go. I mean, uh, it's one of those rare instances in which, uh, you know, not every businessman is made just because I'm a businessman means I can run a team. I can do it somewhere else, but I feel like in one of those instances, this, it looks like almost through the sheer force of will of Lawrence Stroll that this Aston Martin team has gotten competitive and also is going to start trying to be at least in the next few years to look like one of the premier teams that, you know, is the one to look out for every year and be competitive for championships. That's what they're trying to do. Now, will Fernando be driving in 2026 is really another thing to, to answer. Who's who's this car for? Um, but he also is like Tom Brady. So he might just do it to spite Lewis. Who knows? So, yeah, that, that, that was some interesting points uh, for who's going to be in these seats in a couple of years. I mean, I, you'd have to think as long as Lawrence owns the team, Lance is going to be in one of those seats, right? Uh, Honda has always, at, at some point, been able to have a say like who's the driver going to be in their seat. Obviously they had their own team throughout the two thousands before they, you know, um, were just an engine supplier again at McLaren and then, uh, Red Bull. Um, so obviously when they were their own team, they had a Japanese driver on the team. Uh, when they did the Red Bull partnership, which included Alpha Tauri, they pushed for Yuki. Uh, obviously we talked about, possible replacements for Nick DeBreeze a couple of shows ago. If he fails and, you know, um, uh, you know, Iwas is out there as a Japanese driver rising in the ranks. So there's always that aspect. I think they've come out and said that they're not going to have influence on who's going to be in the seat. So that's interesting. Um, I feel like if Fernando is still on his game, I think he's still there. Um, I think it's a distinct possibility. He seems happier than ever on the team right now. Certainly the results are showing it. He's definitely getting paid an absolute dump truck load of money. Um, you know, we're only talking three years away. I think he's still there. I think it'll be 44 at the time, but why not? Yeah. You never know. You never know. Um, it, it, it'll be very weird trying to prognosticate three years from now in formula one is, is a, uh, a foolish gambling man's game. I'll tell you that right now. Right. Uh, I, I the fun, yeah. The funniest thing about the the partnership I think about is when Alonzo was on McLaren just a couple years ago, and Honda was the uh, engine supplier for the team, and he called them out on the radio. Said this was a GP2 engine. It was like too slow, unreliable, and they were they were not a good team in that scenario. In that scenario, and it was bad enough that Honda left the sport for. Uh, what was it? It's, it's third uh, departure at the time before mm-hmm. it's fourth departure. So uh, just interesting to have those two strange bedfellows back together. But uh, I, I think I think it's water under the bridge at this point. I think with with clarity, Alonzo and Honda really kind of put the blame on McLaren and their inability to be a good partner with their engine supplier. Uh, Cause clearly Red Bull haven't figured out. 
and clearly McLaren has not done any better. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there's some validity there, right? Right. Um, yeah. All right. So, finally, some racing after three weeks. Um, and we we know from practice uh, how some teams are shaping up. Uh, so, what do we want to discuss before we get into our predictions anything that you saw from practice today that stood out to you before you get into your predictions Steve? well I mean, we, we talked about williams looking like they showed up to the wrong event yeah uh, they looked like they showed up for f2 race and kind of you know we know the car is built to be fast in a straight line i don't know I, I doubt it's built to do that it just so happens to be the fastest straight line car out there so they are lacking in downforce which is the biggest key that you need for in this race. Everyone's running a, a rear wing the size of a, you know, park bench. Um, so they, they're going to have some struggles, I think, because the car is not set up for a track like this, but I didn't expect them to both be half a second off the slowest time. Um, when everyone else is closer to, you know, eight tenths off the fastest time. Um, yeah, we, we we talked about this. I'm looking at the numbers, you know. Uh, the distance between 18th place Oscar Piastri in practice two and 19th place Alexander Albon is greater than the distance between Piastri and Esteban Ocon, who is in 10th. That, that just gives you, like, the wide gap uh, that uh, those Williams car are to the rest of the field, right? And how tight everybody else is, even with their down in 18th, they're still within half a second of being in points, right? It's just not a great... And, it goes, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Steve, is that very good straight-line car, that's not what you need in Monaco, right? Um, uh, it's, it's not the only thing you need, at the very least. It's definitely going to catch you in trouble if that's all you got, so... I think another thing we... Uh saw is that yeah this is an unforgiving track like it is every time we uh race here uh obviously Albin found the wall uh carlos signs broke his suspension uh at that really narrow exit to the swimming pool chicane that just it, it's one of the great camera angles in formula one as you just watch the car hug around the armco barrier in slow motion trying to fit two sheets of paper between the tire and the barrier um it's amazing precision when you get it right when you get it wrong it's just enough to snap one of the steering arms of the uh you know the, the front tires and you'll always end up in the barrier because once it snaps you have no more ability to turn the car so we've seen uh, you know, that happened to Charles previously, happened to Carlos this weekend already. It's happened to Max previously. Um, so when they really start to push it in qualifying, it'll be interesting to see who's really going to go for it. Yeah, a few, uh, it goes, a few other things that stuck out to me. Um, you know, some teams just don't look good. Haas and Alphatari near the, near the back. But our three rookies, man, the... Uh, them and Alex Albon make the back four markers and um, makes me worried about our boy Logan Sargent and also some of my other I mean I, I'm rooting for Oscar Piastri but I, I hate that he plays for McLaren at this point you know what I mean but speaking of McLaren Lando had a nice practice too 
Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about uh, bright spots in unlikely places, uh, finding Lando top five in FP2, I think, was uh, a pleasant surprise, if unexpected. Um, we'll see how that bears when it comes to actually qualifying. Uh, you know, there's less in it between the cars this weekend than it is like, or, or yeah, less in it between the drivers and the cars themselves. Like this is probably the most, uh, driver intense track where the driver makes the biggest difference. If that makes sense. Um, because it's so low of a power track, there's a lot of slopey speed corners. It's, it's about getting the absolute most out of the car. And I'm not saying someone can put it on Paul and Williams in a dry session, but you know, you can have Lando and a McLaren who excels at this track. Uh, he can certainly find time where other people might be struggling, uh, especially in, in a car that he feels comfortable with where, you know, it's just not the fastest at other tracks where, you have higher and medium speed corners that uh, the McLaren doesn't, you know, tackle very well. But here, uh, you know, pinpoint control, good braking. You can pull a couple of tents out and that's all you need because it's only uh, two tents between fifth and ninth. And then it's only two tents between ninth and 13th. So where you can just find a little bit more than the next driver it can make a big difference and then you know on sunday you just kind of be as wide as you can and you know you can pull out some points unexpectedly yeah so with that said what are your three predictions for this week well um i i've made this prediction previously and i feel good about it so i'm going to go with it again which is we'll have another new podium finisher this race so we've already had max and checo charles and lewis and obviously fernando alonso so i'm thinking this is a good race where carlos or george who who george hasn't looked great so far but if lewis can get the mercedes up there in the top five i think you know george has the talent too so you know why not but uh carlos lando uh, George, I think there's an opportunity for someone else to find themselves on the podium this weekend. Okay. Um, I think we will have a non-Red Bull winner. I, I know I'm going like vague-ish on both of these, but you know I, I want to see if I can bag some points. But uh, <laughs> if there's any track where you know the the Red Bulls dominance over the other teams is lessened it's here where you know I, I don't think anybody's faster in one lap than Charles is and the DS the DRS uh, section of the track there's only one DRS zone and it's the shortest on the calendar so their overpowered uh, setup is kind of weakened got nerfed a little bit and uh, Fernando's always in the mix, so I feel like somebody other than the Red Bull will be uh, on the top step of the podium. So hopefully it's a first-time winner here, which would be, you know, always fun to watch. Um, and finally, I think we will have 
more than four DNFs. Okay. Because our, our last race, we didn't have any. <laughs> so now I'm going more than four. I think we're so going to make we're up due. We're more yeah. than two. All right. I don't know if that's going right. to make it a better race at all. That's just my prediction. I feel like if there's crashes and there's some pit strategy, it makes this a little bit more fun race. You know, I know a lot of times Monaco requires you to qualify well to have a chance. It's not something where you can come from the back of the field without a little help, right? So, all right. Interesting picks. I think I might get a little bit more specific than you. Uh, otherwise, we're just gambling on the same things, I feel like. But I think for my first one, Fernando Alonso gets the pull. All right. He made he made some statements to that very uh, point this weekend, and I'm going to have faith in him and say that he will get the pull. I think Charles will podium. And for my last one, I think. Logan Sargent will finish 20th. Well, I'll just give you that point now. <laughs> Watch this son of a bitch get points. Um, <laughs> I, there's, I mean, I, I will almost put up all the other points I've gotten this year to say that he's not going to get any points in this race. I mean, um, I, I will justify my reasoning, but I don't think anyone needs to. What we talked about, that car, straight line speed, does not have the of downforce for the maneuvering. It's already going to be like driving a sled for them. Uh, and he's a rookie. Uh, I feel like Albin can manage that and keep himself out of trouble. I don't know if Logan can. So I feel like, you know, we'll see how long he lasts in this race, let alone finishes. I, I think he's probably a qualifier for one of your four DNFs. Oh, well, I can't wait till lap one turn run, and he runs it to the back of Nick DeVries, takes both of them out, but his car slides a little bit further up the track than Nick's, so he gets classified as P19 and Nick is P20, and then you don't get a point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, he's P19 by a wing. I'd be so pissed. (laughs) You will will get an instant angry text from me when that happens. I bet. Uh, So I, I don't think we're under any risk of real rain like last year, which... You know, one, some weather is always nice to have a little bit of uh, jeopardy, but obviously we've seen, you know, four times in the last, you know, two years uh, or two and a half-ish years. Obviously last week, way too much rain, not just for the race, but for the country. Uh, Monaco last year, it got off to a bad start just from trying to figure out the logistics of starting the race, uh, you know, Japan and uh, Japan last year and spa the year before. So you never want too much rain, but I feel like I think it's only like a 20% chance of rain. And if it is, it's going to be light. So maybe just enough to uh, make people pull some strategy changes. Um, other than that, you know, I think we just got to hope for, some outstanding performances and qualifying to give us a little bit of intrigue. But, you know, you, you have Charles finishing on the podium. He quasi broke his curse last year. For those of you who don't know, he had never finished a race 
at his home track. And, you know, we talked about Logan having a home race in Miami because he lived in Fort Lauderdale and that's only like, you know, uh, a 20 minute drive from his house. It's a 15 minute walk from Charles where, where he grew up to where the track is. You know, it's, it's, uh, the closest thing you can get to a home race, but he never finished one constantly crashed, crashed in qualifying, couldn't start. He even crashed in the, uh, you know, the historic race in a seventies Ferrari, you know, just there for, uh, you know, kind of exhibition. Couldn't help himself crashing that his brother crashed today. There's a Leclerc family curse on this weekend finished fourth because Ferrari bungled the pit stop strategy. So you wonder what's going to get thrown at him this week to keep him from winning. You obviously don't think he's going to win, but do you think it's going to be, he just didn't have enough to beat Fernando or some unforced error in the win falls from his grasp. Uh, this is the thing. I'm getting tired of counting out Verstappen and he keeps screwing me. So this is this is the issue here. I feel like uh, there's some history here with the pole in Monaco, right? I think like you can win from second or third and it's preferable. I'm trying to remember. And so I just feel like he won't qualify where it's advantageous. I I think Charles could finish second. I I you know I, I'm not necessarily saying that. I think he will podium. My reticence with Charles is he has bad luck here. And I think part of it is his, it's in his head, right? It's uh, So he's trying too hard at home um, and maybe pushing his car too much or, you know, whatever it is. It's a confluence of things. It's, you know, it's just Ferrari's going to Ferrari and maybe Charles pushing too hard. So that's why I'd like to pick him to win. Uh, but I can't do that. And... It's. I was going to do Fernando, pole, Charles win, but where does that leave Max in this equation? And you just know Max is always lurking. He's the boogeyman. So I can't. I'd like that to happen. I'd love to see that. I think the cars can do it. But also, I haven't seen Red Bull kind of have a bad week. At least Max have a bad week. Really, his bad week is that I wasn't good enough to get first. I'm right. second. So that's. That's where my reticence is on Charles, but I think he has a car to win. Um, to your point, if there's ever a serendipitous, perfect moment in time for uh, Charles to do so, he always races well here, or at least always qualifies well here. I would say he races well here too. He's had some bad luck, so uh, it's just you're starting. It's 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 laughable at this point. It's going to get ridiculous if he has another crash or something weird happens this, uh, that. Uh, you know, sabotages his car, but no, I, I would, I would cheer just as loud for him. And I'm not the hugest Ferrari fan per se. I mean, I like Ferrari and I like the guys, but I would, uh, I would cheer just as loudly for him winning as I would for Lewis magically winning this race. Um, just because I feel like that feels like a good moment, right? That feels yep. like a good way to end this weekend. Yep. Um, yeah. Our, our producer just handed me the stats for uh pulp, pole position conversions at Monaco. Um, of the 68 races, the pole sitter has won only 30 times. Like 30, 30 sounds like a lot, but for a track where it's nigh impossible to change position and have battles, having a 44% pole 
pole to win conversion rate is kind of surprisingly low. And the fact that the pole sitter has retired 20 times there, there's a little bit of a snake bitten uh, aspect to getting pole position here. Like it's uh, as, as much as this is the race you want to have pole. Cause you feel like it gives you the best chance to keep everybody behind you. It's not locked in that you're going to win getting the fastest lap on Saturday. Yeah. And, and again, I, we know this. Uh, I think everyone knows at this track too. I've got to win off the line. I've got to win in this first lap. I've got to get into the, the first corner. I got to pass. And that sets it up because it's so hard to pass. Once you make that initial move, it's a lot easier to defend after that. Um, so that's why it's like second or third. It's like, I can win from here. First, you're defending everyone behind you, right? Second or third kind of has you in that pocket of, I'm always in touch with first place, but you almost have more strategy reaction, uh, you know, more of room for error to, to make a call. You know, and that, that's kind of how it played out last year where, uh, you know, Sergio kind of said, we don't need to make that extra stop. We can go straight from wets to dries. We don't have to stop on inters first. And, you know, you kind of let the cars in front of you, you know, make the mistake and then you can react. Um, so, yeah, second and third, not it's not so bad to be. So if you find yourself there, if I'm, you know, if I'm, Lewis or Charles and I'm second or third after qualifying, you know, I'm not hanging my head saying, Oh man, I need to get pole. Yeah. That's where I wonder. I mean, I think Fernando wants the pole cause I think he's a sadist. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, I also think Fernando thinks I can win from the pole. I don't care. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, Fernando wakes up thinking he can win from his bed. So well, I, I will say this. There is probably not a better driver on the grid right now who can seriously get out front, defend his ass off, and stay out there than probably Fernando Alonso, right? So I have faith in him because he has faith in himself. And so I think if he got pole, it wouldn't be a bad thing for him, and he seems to want it. No one said that otherwise. I think Max will take it. I think anyone will take it. It's nice to get a pole at Monaco, but I mean... I, I don't think anyone's sitting there thinking, man, I'm, I feel so bad I got second or third. They know the history of this track. They know that's not a death sentence at all. So, And, uh, you know, once we uh, absorb everything from the Monaco Grand Prix and, you know, check in on the Indy 500 to see how that goes, uh, we will be back with you to break down the results. Yeah, I saw it was crazy uh, that... Uh... The Indianapolis Motor Speedway is going to see as many people this weekend as some large cities. And it's like, they like rattled off like five or six. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible considering the cities. I think one of them was Orlando. So uh, with that said, that does it for this edition of the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. Again, I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally. And we'll see you next time across the line. <laughs> <laughs>